Good morning. Hope you're having a wonderful Canada Day weekend and enjoying time with friends and family. As Pastor Kevin mentioned, um, next Sunday we'll be starting a new series from the book of Psalms. So today we're actually finishing off our series about the Pharisee and me. And uh, in concluding this series, I just would like to uh, offer to you a compare and contrast between the Pharisees and Jesus. I want to just look at a few different situations in the Gospels, uh, things that happened and how Jesus reacted to those situations and how the Pharisees reacted to those situations. And then in light of that, to understand or examine our hearts to see how would we react to similar situations. Um, We can react like Jesus would react, which obviously is the ideal uh, reaction, or we can react like the Pharisees reacted, and maybe there's a little bit, as we've been studying these past few weeks, maybe there's a little bit of the Pharisee in us that causes us to react the way that the Pharisees reacted. Um, and the way that the Pharisee react, Pharisees reacted many times is within their religious experience or their religious box. I've titled the message, Living Outside the Religious Box, because many times we tend to live within that religious box, and as the Pharisees responded and reacted, they reacted within this religious box. This was the religious thing to do. This was seemingly the right thing to do. This was seemingly the way that we should respond. And in many times in our lives, as Some of you maybe that have walked with the Lord for some years, maybe some of you are are new and maybe you don't know the Lord yet. There are so many times that we can also get into a religious attitude and a religious way of thinking of things. And in our box, we have our own conceptions and our own ways of of dealing with situations. And so uh, I'd just like to look at some of these situations just to see how Jesus reacted. Many times the Pharisees actually missed the whole point. Jesus actually saw through a lot of the exteriors, saw through the box, you can say, and saw the intention and motive and the heart behind the situations, whereas the Pharisees, so many times they lived within that box and they missed the forest from the trees, if you've heard that expression before. They've missed the big picture, they missed the real thing, and they focused on something that was very small. You know, there's a story of a man, he was working in a factory and when he was, as he was leaving the factory one day, he, uh, he had his wheelbarrow, and in the wheelbarrow he had his box. And as he was leaving the factory, the security guard was, there, guard was there, and the security guard asked the man, what do you have there? He's like, I have a, a little box. And the guard said, what's in the box? He said, well, you know, in the factory after the day's work, and there's all sorts of sawdust on the ground, You know, I needed some sawdust, so I collected that all, and I put that in my box and put it in this wheelbarrow, and I'm I'm going. And the security guard was, you know, found that a little bit weird, but he said, said, open up the box. And so he opened up the box, and lo and behold, there was sawdust in the box. So the security guard said, okay, fine, go. The next day, same thing. The third day, same thing. The fourth day, the same thing. Now the security guard is starting to get a little bit you know, suspicious now. So the fifth day, the guy comes with a wheelbarrow and the box there, and the security guard says, what do you have in the box? He's like, well, the same thing I've had all these days. It's sawdust. And the security guard said, I just have this feeling that you are cheating us. I have this feeling that you're stealing something from us. The guy opens up the box and sawdust. And so the security guard says, okay, look, listen. 
I won't arrest you. I won't tell anybody anything. Just tell me what actually is going on. And I promise nothing will happen to you. So the guy thinks. And he says, okay, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. (laughs) The security guard many times is like us or like the Pharisees. That they miss the big picture because they're so zoomed in and focused on one little thing. He was so focused on the fact that this guy was bringing out a box full of sawdust that he lost the whole big picture and didn't even ask him about the wheelbarrow. And so many times we see in the scriptures, and in the, in, especially with the Pharisees, how they look at one little thing and miss the larger picture. And we see in Jesus' reaction is that he saw the larger picture and didn't necessarily focus on that one little thing. So I just want to look at four specific situations this morning. Number one is that is seeing sin versus seeing love. In various situations, we see how the Pharisees, they looked at sin, and sin was the big thing in, their, in what they saw. But Jesus saw past sin and actually saw love. In one situation, the Pharisees invited Jesus to his house to eat, and a woman came there, and she began crying over Jesus' feet, and she wiped his, uh, his dirty feet, mind you, with her hair. Now, this, now, if that's not love, I don't know what it is, right? She's taking her hair and she's wiping Jesus' dirty feet with her hair. And then she anoints his feet with ointment. And the reaction of the Pharisees was the normal reaction for the culture of that day. And it might be our reaction as well. In Luke 7, verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Can you see how the Pharisees reacted to this situation? This woman who's crying and weeping and washing Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, anointing his feet with ointment. She's doing this beautiful work towards Jesus. And what do the Pharisees see? She's a sinner. She's a sinner. But the reaction of Jesus was completely different. He saw past her sinfulness. He saw past her exterior. He saw past the condemnation all the way down to that thing that was in her heart, which was love. He gave the Pharisee an example of two people that were forgiven. One was forgiven, let's say, $500, and the other was forgiven, say, $50. And he asked the Pharisee, who would love more? The Pharisee says, well, probably the one that was forgiven the most. And Jesus says, yes. You are correct. And then he goes on to list all these things in this story. In, in Luke chapter 7, he lists these things. He told the Pharisees, he said, look, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. That was the custom. But this woman, she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with, my, with her hair. Jesus told the Pharisee, you didn't give me a kiss when I came in. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet from the moment I've come here. He told the Pharisee, you didn't anoint my head with any uh, ointment. But this woman has anointed my feet. Jesus' reaction to this situation was starkly different to the reaction of the Pharisees because the Pharisees reacted and said, she's a sinner. Jesus reacted and said, I see love. I don't see the condemnation. I see love. And so in Luke 7, verse 47, it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. Why? For she loved much. She loved much. In another situation, Jesus was eating with with tax collectors and sinners, and the, the Pharisees despised him because Jesus was living outside of that religious box. Can you see the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus? How many times in our lives we see somebody do something bad and we jump to a conclusion, we jump to a, a, a judgment and we say, oh yeah, this person, they're always like this, they always do this, and we, and we focus in on something that the person is doing and we are so quick to be judgmental, we are so quick to condemn, whereas Jesus reflected the love of God. You know, there's a story of a German soldier in World War II, who was taken as a POW at the end of the war, a prisoner of war. And while he was in, in prison, he, saw, he was given pictures to see of the concentration camps in Auschwitz and other places, to see what his country and what his army and his leaders had done. He was filled with so much shame and despair. The chaplain gave him a Bible to read, and he, he started to read it. In 1947, he was able to attend a Christian conference that was uh, led by some Dutch people. And uh, he felt so much fear and guilt and shame as they shared about the pain that Hitler caused for their people and the dread of the Gestapo and all the emotions and feelings that they felt and the disruption and damage to their community. Yet, these Dutch people, they didn't speak out with a spirit of vindictiveness or revenge or anything like that. But they came to offer forgiveness. And it was completely unexpected for this man. These Dutch Christians embodied the love of God. And showed that toward this German soldier. And he actually saw what he read in the scriptures. He read about the love of Jesus. He read about forgiveness. But in that conference, he saw it manifested in these Dutch Christians to show forgiveness for what he was part of. If it was us, we might have just condemned the person. If it was us, we might have said, oh, that German soldier, he's going to amount to nothing. Look at what he did. Why was he a part of that terrible regime? And so many things we could have concluded. Do you know who that man was? His name was Jürgen Moltmann. He went, out, he went on to become one of the greatest theologians in the 20th century. Studied the word of God, taught the word of God. But if somebody had judged him years before, they would have said, forget about this guy. There's no hope for this guy. Look at what he did. But he found forgiveness in Christ. And he found the love of God. Instead of seeing sin... Jesus saw love. How about us today? What do we see in other people? Number two, we see that in the Pharisees, they were always desiring a sacrifice, whereas Jesus was showing mercy. There was a time when when Jesus and his disciples, they were walking through the grain fields, and it was a Sabbath day, and the disciples, you know, they were hungry. And so they started to pluck some some of the grain, and they started to eat it. And the Pharisees, of course, living within their religious box, they said, hold on, hold on, this is the Sabbath day. How can your disciples be plucking grain? How can your disciples be doing that? They're not supposed to do this on the Sabbath day. They expected others 
to sacrifice the same way that they supposedly were sacrificing. And I say supposedly because many times these Pharisees put rules and regulations and laws on other people and they themselves didn't keep them. We looked at that previously. But they were living within their religious box and so they expected others to sacrifice. They expected others to live by what they, they thought was right. And so these disciples, they're picking, they're picking a grain to eat. And the Pharisees are desiring a sacrifice. But instead, Jesus actually shows mercy. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, it says, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They were quick to condemn. They were quick to jump on the disciples. They were quick to jump on Jesus. Because they weren't showing mercy. But then a few verses later, Jesus goes on to defend the disciples. He goes on to, to defend what was happening. And he gives this interesting conclusion. And this verse comes up a few times. And I just want to look at it very briefly. But at the end of this discourse here, Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 7, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus actually held the disciples guiltless in this area. And he said, if you knew what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You wouldn't have said these things to the disciples. You know, a few chapters before that, Jesus was in another predicament with the Pharisees. He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees were despising him again. I don't know if you see this similar theme that's going on here. And again, Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew 9 and verse 13... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus wanted to show mercy, whereas the Pharisees wanted to see a sacrifice. And many times in our own lives as well, as, a, as the Pharisee in us, we expect other people to sacrifice when it comes time for service, when it comes time to work, when it comes time to do this, and that we, there's an expectation in our lives, that we want other people to live up to a certain standard. We're living within our religious box, and, we, and if we do it, then we expect other people as well to do it. But instead, the reaction of Jesus is not saying, yeah, yeah, disciples, what are you doing? Today's the Sabbath day. You shouldn't be doing that. He didn't do that. Instead, Jesus extended Mercy. He's actually quoting from an Old Testament passage in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, where he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus was getting to the heart of the issue. Jesus was getting to something that was much more important. That as we saw in the last point, how Jesus reflected love, Jesus also wanted to show mercy to the people. He came for the sinners, He came to grant us redemption. He came to forgive us of our sins. We're all sinners. We all fail. We all have faults. We all have problems. And it's so easy for us to jump on other people as we live within our religious box. It's so easy for us to condemn other people as we live within our religious box. It's so easy for us to expect others to sacrifice instead of us as we live within our religious box. But Jesus showed mercy. Jesus looked to show mercy. Jesus wanted to show mercy to others. I wonder how many times in our life, instead of being quick to jump on other people, we are quick to show mercy. How many times are we quick to give them the benefit of the doubt? 
In Mark chapter 3, we read a story about how Jesus healed a man on the, on the Sabbath day. He had a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees were looking and seeing, would Jesus heal on the Sabbath day? And Jesus, seeing the Pharisees and knowing what was going on in their mind, Jesus healed that man on the Sabbath day because he said, is it not better to do good on the Sabbath day? And so Jesus wanted to extend mercy. Jesus wanted to do good. Jesus wanted to help others on the Sabbath day. Because that's the heart of God. And dear people of God, today, how many of us, when we, in, in the light of the word of God, when we look at our lives, how many times are we so quick to come to judgment on others, quick to hold others to a certain standard of sacrifice? You got to do this, and you got to do that, and you should do the other thing. When we ourselves many times don't do it, and instead of extending mercy to others, we are condemning others. Just like the Pharisees did. Maybe justice requires a punishment. But how many know that even when justice required a punishment from us, Jesus took that punishment for us and extended mercy towards us on the cross of Calvary? You know, in 1994, in South Africa, um, Nelson Mandela and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, they sought to bring reconciliation to a country that was torn apart by apartheid sought to bring reconciliation to that country and healing to that nation. And what President Mandela did was that he offered that if anyone would come and confess their crimes, that they would be pardoned, they would go free, that they wouldn't face any punishment. He felt and he thought that was the way to extend mercy to to these people at this critical juncture in their nation's history was so important That reconciliation was so important that he said, you won't be punished. Just come and confess your sins. Acknowledge what has happened. We won't punish you for that. What we want more than anything else is for a reconciliation to happen within the country. And so many people came forward at that time. And there was one man specifically who who did so many terrible things. And uh, his name was Van der Broek. And uh, him and his fellow officers had shot uh, an 18-year-old boy, and uh, they had burned, they had buried, uh, burned the body to hide the evidence, and all of these terrible things. No, no time to go into the whole story. But as he came into the court and he explained everything that happened, and the family was there, the mother was there as well. He explained everything, and he felt so much shame and regret. And he went and he took his seat, and as he was explaining and listening, he was reliving those events in his mind. And the mother was given an opportunity to speak. And she said, I would like to ask the officer to go to the place where my husband died. I want him to collect the dust there so I could give him a proper burial. And Vanderbrock solemnly solemnly just nodded his head. And she said, I have one more thing to ask. And she said, Officer Vanderbroek took my family away from me. I have so much love and no one to share it with. I am asking that Mr. Vanderbroek come visit me in the ghetto twice a month so I can spend time with him and mother him like my own son. God has forgiven him and I have forgiven him too. And I want him to know my forgiveness is genuine. And then she asked the judge, may I go now and embrace him? That's 
mercy. She could have wanted justice. Even President Mandela could have wanted justice for all of the the terrible things that went on. But for the sake of the nation, for the healing of their country, for the reconciliation of peoples that were on two opposite poles, mercy was extended and shown to bring unity. The Bible says that God, through Christ, in the death of Jesus on Calvary, has taken away that middle wall of partition and has joined us and united us again with Christ. Sin separated us from God. But because of what Jesus did on Calvary, we can be united with him again. Number three, tradition and culture versus the word of God. One of the problems with the Pharisees is that they were so upset with Jesus because he supposedly transgressed the tradition of the elders. Now, this was beyond what was written in the scriptures. These were, were traditions and customs that the elders uh, had that were passed down from generation to generation. Uh, Pastor Kevin spoke a little bit about it. He, he brought that book that had so many different rules and regulations uh, that they were to keep. But in keeping their tradition, in honoring their culture, they actually transgressed the word of God. They held their tradition to a higher level or standard than the word of God. It was of greater priority, of greater importance to them than even the very word of God. And so there was a time when uh, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they went to eat. Now, I would highly recommend washing your hands before you go to eat. There's nothing, you know, wrong with that. It's a good thing, I think, to do. But they did it as a practice, as a tradition. Because the disciples didn't do it, the Pharisees got upset and said, Jesus, why are your disciples doing that? They're breaking the tradition of the elders. Jesus responded. This was the Pharisees' reaction. Why is something like this happening? Jesus' response was to elevate the word of God and say, hold on, by your tradition, you're actually breaking the word of God. He says in Matthew 15, verse 3, he answered them, answering the Pharisees, and said, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? There was a situation going on here. The Pharisees elevated their tradition and their culture, and Jesus was saying, no, hold on. The word of God is so much more important. And in our lives, in the culture that we live, sad to say, many times, tradition and culture take precedence over what the word of God says. Everything around us saying, well, everyone's doing it and they're doing it. And culture becomes the, the, the way by which we uh, uh, measure ourselves and say, no, 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 but everyone says this is okay. Everyone says that is okay. We have to be like these people. We have to do this and we have to do that. And we elevate other standards instead of holding true to what the Word of God says. And sadly, we've lost that desire and importance for the Word of God. Matthew 15, verse 6, Jesus says again, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So easy for tradition and culture to dictate where we stand. But if we believe the word of God, then we'll pay the cost for it. For the Pharisees, they honored that tradition. They honored that culture, that religious box that they were in. That was so important to them. Don't step out of that religious box. That's so important. Don't step out of that culture. Don't step out of that tradition. you got to keep all of those things. But Jesus showed them how important the Word of God is. We get boxed into culture many times. We live within that box. This is how things are. 
at the cost of the word of God, which is not good. And John 8 verse 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. In that same chapter in Matthew 15, Jesus goes on to rebuke and scold the Pharisees by saying, This people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what you're doing is just in vain. You're just teaching the doctrines of men. You're worshiping me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And dear people of God, that is the bigger picture that is so much more important. Is that where is our heart in all of these things? Where is our devotion to Christ, our worship towards the Lord, our love for the Word of God in all of these various aspects? Has the Word of God lost its priority in our lives? Has the standard of the Word of God lost its priority in our lives? And culture and tradition have taken over. We have to be very careful You know, William William Tyndale, he lived during the time of the Reformation about 500 years ago. And he was the one that actually translated the Bible initially into into English, or at least gave us us the first printed versions of it that was, was, you know, uh, distributed in many different areas. And the people at that time, the religious people at that time, didn't want him to do that. They were really against Tyndale. They actually wanted to find him and capture him and kill him because he was translating the Bible into English so that the common people could read it. But they didn't want that to happen. The religious people of the day said, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't just have regular people reading the Bible. They sought to kill him. They actually burned Bible, the translations that he, uh, that he made. And it was hard for Tyndale because he would see people taking the word of God, the value in the word of God, And paying the ultimate price with their life. And he realized that because of his translation, people were taking a stand for the word of God. One of his good friends, John Frith, was burned alive. Another friend, Richard Bayfield, who was in charge of the ships that brought Tyndale's books to England, was also killed. And one day in 1532, a guy named James Baham, he stood up at St. Augustine's Church in London. And he held up a copy of Tyndale's Bible the New Testament, and he begged the people to die rather than deny the truth of the word of God. Sadly, he met that same fate, death by fire. They valued the word of God. They valued the importance of the word of God. And sadly, in the eyes of the Pharisees, they exalted other things over the word of God. Lastly, fanatic followers or true praise. We see another situation, another situation in which the, the Pharisees were critical of Jesus. This was Jesus's, in Luke 19, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he was coming into Jerusalem and the people were praising God and, and uh, they were uh, honoring Jesus and saying, Hosanna to the King of Kings and all of these things. And as he was coming in, the Pharisees saw that and he, they looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you doing? Tell your disciples to keep quiet. What's going on? This is crazy. In Luke 19, verse 37 and 38, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was grateful for the worship. Jesus was thankful that the people are acknowledging the King of Kings. But these Pharisees saw the disciples as just 
religious fanatics. Why are they going over the top? This is, this is too much. And so in verse 39 it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Calm them down. Make them silent. This is too much. Why is all of this, this, all of this going on? This is like you know, a crazy place. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Even if they are quiet, the rocks and the stones, they will cry out. Even if these people are quiet, the rocks and the stones will cry out. Even if human beings are quiet, the rocks and the stones will bring praise to God because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Can you see the different reaction where the Pharisees were looking in a way of condemning the actions of the disciples and Jesus was saying, yeah, keep doing it because if you don't, the rocks and the stones are going to cry out. Maybe I might have kept quiet just to see the rocks and stones cry out. That would have been an experience. I wonder how many of us are true worshipers. Many times we look at other people and we might think, ah, this guy's a religious fanatic. This guy is, oh, he goes to church every Sunday? Oh, they're always doing this and that. And like the Pharisees, we might think of these people, these guys are, are too much. But Jesus was looking for true worshipers. Jesus saw the heart in his disciples more than what the Pharisees were seeing. Sometimes we look at other people in a judgmental way. Maybe people are, we think people, ah, they're just putting on a show. They're just doing it for others to see. They're so hypocritical. Come to church and raise their hands. Oh, and when they get home, they start yelling and screaming. Oh, that resonates with some people. God is looking for true worshipers. Here's my question to you. Why do you come to church? There's an author named George Barna, who's the founder of the Barna Group that does all these religious surveys and things like that. And he came to, after a survey, he came to this conclusion He said that most Americans go to church to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Is that why we go to church? We come to church so we can feel good? Yeah, I went to church. I know it's Canada Day, but you know, I went to church. Do we come to church just to feel good? Maybe to, you know, sing some of these nice songs and makes us feel nice inside, hear a good message and makes us feel nice inside? See some of our friends and enjoy the fellowship. Well, apparently the majority of Americans come to church just to, I don't know about Canadians, but this was a survey done in America, come to church to satisfy or please themselves. Somehow I feel like there's not too much of a difference north of the border. How many know that we shouldn't come here to satisfy ourselves? We come here to worship the Lord. We come here to praise the Lord. We come here to give the Lord the honor that's due to his name. William Temple, who was the renowned Archbishop of Canterbury, you know what he defined worship as? He said, worship is the quickening, is quickening the conscience by the holiness of God, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God and devoting the will 
to the purpose of God. That's what he defined worship as. Quickening the conscience by the holiness of God. Feeding the mind with the truth of God. Purging the imagination by the beauty of God. Opening the heart to the love of God. And devoting the will to the purpose of God. Are we looking like the Pharisees and saying, Oh, these people are too much. Or do we look like Jesus looked and say, Yes, they are true worshipers. Don't stay quiet, because if they do, the rocks and stones are going to cry out. Will Jesus say that about us? Will he say, yes, my people, they are true worshipers. They worship me in spirit and in truth. They love me with all of their heart. Their conscience is quickened by the thought of holiness, the holiness of God. They love the truth of the word of God. With their will, they do the purposes of God. Close with this verse in Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. When Jesus walked in their midst and he reacted differently to the way that the Pharisees reacted, Jesus demonstrated to the people, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ, displayed in his love, mercy, word, and authentic worship. The Pharisees missed all of these things. They looked at other things and they they missed the forest from the trees. They looked at other things and totally lost the big picture. But Jesus demonstrated in his actions and in his words as he walked in the midst of them. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst by the way that he reacted to situations. Different from the Pharisees. Let's not miss this point. Let's not miss this reality. That the way that Jesus lived in this world was a display of the kingdom of God. When he said, turn the other cheek when he extended mercy to others, when he forgave the sinners, when he showed love to the woman that washed his feet. Jesus displayed the character of the kingdom to everyone and especially to the Pharisees. And it was highlighted so much so by the contrast between him and the religious people of the day. They lived within their religious box. They acted within their religious box. They said, this is the way that we should live. This is the law that we should keep. These are the commandments we should obey. And Jesus came and wrecked the whole thing, destroyed the box, and said, this is how I'm living. This is how I'm working. This is what I'm doing. Follow me. Follow my commandments. This is the kingdom of God in your midst. Show love. Show mercy. Show kindness. Display the character of Christ to the needy, the broken, the hurting. Whichever person might come across our ways. Let us be the people that reflect the character of the kingdom of God. This is how they will know that you are my disciples if you will love one another. Don't lose the big picture. Don't lose the reason why Jesus came. Destroyed all the conceptions that the Pharisees had. Destroyed all of their reasonings because he wanted to show the people this is the kingdom here and now. 
And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us live the kingdom now. There's a Pharisee in us. We've been looking at so many different things in, in, this, in this series. There's a Pharisee in us that tries to rear its head and say, Oh, no, but you got to do this and you got to do that and all of these things. But Jesus walks along and says, Destroy that box. Look at how I lived. Look at what I did. Follow me. And live like Jesus lived. Displaying the love of God. This morning we've come to the, to the house of God also to partake of the table of the Lord. Just want to ask those that will be assisting and serving the, the communion to please come to the front at this time. But in giving, in participating today of the Lord's table, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. We remember what Christ did on Calvary for us as the ultimate demonstration of the kingdom of God here and now. As the ultimate demonstration of the kingdom principles, Jesus gave up his life, humbled himself, and died on the cross. That was real beauty. And as we come today to the table of the Lord, we remember his sacrifice for us. I'm just going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says... For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning we want to invite you all to come to the front in a moment to partake of the Lord's table. These elements are gluten-free as well. You can come and take the elements and please just return to your seat and then just wait and we will partake together. But let's just take a few moments right now just to prepare our hearts. Let's take a few moments just to examine our hearts today. In the light of the word of God, maybe we've seen, yeah, I reacted like the Pharisees. Just this morning, I reacted like the Pharisees. I didn't display the love of Christ, the mercy of God, the purity of the Lord, the way that I should have. Let's just take a moment and just examine our hearts. And let's just ask the Lord, Lord, please help me. Lord, help me to reflect your life and your character. Lord, help me to be the person you want me to be as a display of the kingdom of God.